0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Hello, Eastern family. Thanks for listening and being part of the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. And thank you for joining us today for episode 68, or actually 69, excuse me, from the Eastern Files, The program is dedicated to memories, stories, and articles appearing in Eastern publications, such as Repartee, the official magazine of the Retired Eastern Pilots Association and books by former Eastern employees. We want to keep the great history of this airline, Eastern Airlines, for all to share and keep the legacy of this proud airline. Today's From the Eastern Files brings you the early history of our great airline and the aircraft it flew. The readings for this series have come from the book, Eastern, and Airline and its Aircraft by J.E.B. Davies, a great book. Now, let's hear an Eastern commercial.
0: It's so easy to do, Eastern's got the right time. Got the right time and the right place for you. Eastern's got the right time and the right place for
1: you. Now for our readings from J.E.B. Davis Davies, D-A-V-I-E-S, book, Eastern, an airline and its aircraft, a wonderful book. You can uh, buy it online, just go on your browser and uh, look up our own amazon.com and you'll find Eastern, an airline and its aircraft. Um, I'm sure many books are still for sale, a wonderful book, great, great uh, photographs uh, and uh, the just the entire history just about of Eastern Airlines. Today, we're talking about New York Airways. This company had originally been organized by Juan Tripp and a group of influential friends to bid for the New York-Boston mail contract against Colonial Air Transport. Neither company won, but the two joined forces under the latter's name. The former was incorporated as Southern Airlines on July the 8th of 1927, six days after the Tripp Group had formed the Aviation Corporation of the Americas later to become pan-american airways southern was acquired by trips corporation and retained as a subsidiary renamed as new york airways 27th of june 1928 it began service on june 1st of 1930 from north beach airfield the old curtis wright field now LaGuardia airport it started to atlantic city with a fleet of two Ford trimotors, a Falker F10, and a Sikorsky uh, S38 floatplane, on August 2nd, the route was extended to Washington via Baltimore. On the 15th of July of 1931, Pan American sold New York Airways to Eastern Air Transport to make a valuable addition to that airline's map. Promotion for New York Airways was persuasive as shown by the extracts from the publicity pamphlets that you'll find in the book. This may have been one of the earliest versions of what was in later years to be termed the inclusive tour. Even in the early 1930s, the price must have been attractive. The normal one-way fare was $14 and 45 cents and a special com uh, commutation commuting ticket cost a hundred dollars for eight one way trips. Passenger boardings during the summer months were measured in the thousands. The wording in the uh, in the uh, column opposite, which was a picture of an advertisement by the way and and uh, let me read you what this uh, uh, this promotion uh, was all about back then. And for three days, three days, an all-expense air cruise daily to Atlantic City from New York. Fly to Atlantic City only 55 minutes by air. Live at the Ambassador or Ritz-Carlton hotels and enjoy ocean bathing direct from hotels at 49 dollars 56 which included round-trip airfare. Room with bath. Hey, that's pretty neat, with a bath. And uh, for three days, and you got eight meals, all for $49.50. That was an ad that was run by New York Airways. The uh, additional incentives explained were in the effect that you leave the heat and noise of New York in a luxurious multi-motored airliner, manned by experienced transport pilots a radio operator and a steward also if you just want some real fun invest in this air cruise to atlantic city no other investment you can make today will yield such dividends in health and pleasure accommodations was either at the ambassador as the ad mentioned or at the ritz wow what a deal Now, let's go over to when General Motors takes control of the airline. General Motors. On 24th of April, 1930, President Herbert Hoover signed into law the McNary Waters Act, and the face of commercial air transport in the United States underwent a metamorphosis. Here, too... As many as 30 different companies had operated what would now be called regional networks, even commuter systems. Only one, operating from San Francisco to Chicago, could claim to challenge the railroads as an effective alternative. They all aspired to obtain mail contracts. Some of the lucky ones managed to come close to breaking even, and a couple even made money, but most of them were went into the red those that tried to operate without the mail were doomed from the start, simply because the operating costs and overheads of the running an airline were just too high. The aircraft were technically inefficient, operationally unreliable, and too small to offer minimal comfort standards for passengers. Furthermore, most of the mail small companies were not yet educated into the special organizational requirements for running an airline. With the passing of the act, mail payments were paid according to the capacity offered with a formula to encourage or compensate for special circumstances. This replaced the former system of paying by weight carried which was always a gamble. The new volumetric based scheme stimulated the introduction of larger aircraft so as to supplement mail payments with passenger revenues. And as noted, uh, aircraft such as the Falker F-10, the Ford trimotor, and the Curtis types soon comprised the fleet rosters of the airlines. There were no longer local mail carriers The stimulus from the government through the McNary Waters Act combined with a new interest, almost enthusiasm, in flying by the general public. This had been caused mainly by the remarkable transatlantic flight by the 25-year-old airmail pilot, Charles Lindbergh, who followed his epic achievement with a goodwill tour around the United States visiting every one of the 48 states, encouraging local authorities to build airfields, develop air-mindedness, and sponsor airline activity. One result was that the financing of the airlines was no longer a local affair. Big business got into the act. Control of the new larger groups passed to organizations such as the Pennsylvania Railroad and the United Aircraft Corporation, which was Boeing and Pratt & Whitney, and the Aviation Corporation of America, which uh, uh, Clement Keyes was uh, the purchaser of the North American Aviation, and the directors were no longer car dealers or aviators. They were bankers. But even Keyes was not omnipotent. In spite of his grandiose plans and bold initiatives, he overreached himself, even maintaining the survival of his empire by transferring his own investments. His health suffered, and he retired from the scene of multi million dollar financial manipulations. On February 28, 1933, the great General Motors Corporation purchased control of North America from. Keys through its subsidiary General Aviation Corporation for $3,676,000. And in addition to Eastern, it controlled Western Air Express and Transcontinental and Western Air, TWA. In essence, about a third of the United States air transport industry was purchased. General Motors even changed the name of Western to General Airlines. And toyed with the idea of going into the air transport airplane manufacturing market, but this was the uh, limit of its direct penetration into commercial aviation. When it took over the eastern flagship, the airplane was the Curtis T-32, and these had only just gone into service. But their life was short, as two more revolutions were about to take place. One was of technology in 1933 by Boeing. Boeing produced a new transport airplane, the Model 247, one which later historians would call the first modern airliner. It was a monoplane. The structure comprised the technique of stressed skin instead of tubular uh, steel. It was aerodynamically clean and its landing gear was partially retractable. Altogether, it flew about 60% faster than any of the other transport aircraft of its day. The other revolution was political. Postmaster General Brown's grand plan was for a coordinated national airways network based on soundly financed and well-organized corporations. But some of this disgruntled aspirants for lucrative mail contracts claimed that the systematically devised uh, formula had been the result of favoritism and possible corruption. The airmail scandal, as it later became known, resulted in the black committee whose revelations resulted in the cancellation of all the old mail contracts. The Army Air Corps was not able to substitute adequate replacement service, and new contracts were quickly put into effect. One of the provisions of the new Black-McKeller Act of 1934 was that no company involved in surface transport, land or sea, road or, or rail, could be Involved in the airline business Thus, General Motors was forced out of aviation Almost as soon as it had thrown its hat into the ring Interestingly, for different reasons The other major car manufacturer, Ford Had already withdrawn from the field And had stopped building airplanes Now a little about the Curtis Condor T32. It was an airplane that uh, was powered by Wright right cyclone, two of them, uh, horsepower engines, uh, 1,400 horsepower engines, and it had a maximum gross takeoff weight of 17,500 pounds. The range of this airplane was 650 miles. Uh, the length of the airplane itself was 49 feet, and it had a wingspan of 82 feet about uh, one-third of, um, of the length of the constellation. As previously noted, the biplane was a dying breed. This variant of the Curtis Condor was the last large biplane built in America. Only in Great Britain, where the 40-seat Hanley Page HP-42s provided slow but elegant service Complete with five-course meals on the London-Paris route and other European routes, the biplane survived through the 1930s. By the way, its seats uh, was 14 seats, and it traveled at 145 miles per hour. The Condor was able to provide sleeping accommodations for American Airlines on its transcontinental routes. But the limited range, the noise, and the vibration, all these factors did not provide much opportunity for sleep. As for Eastern, it had no sooner introduced the new Condor into service in March of '33, when the revolutionary Boeing 247 monoplane changed the entire world of air transport in the United States. Now, Eastern went on and purchased uh, aircraft and uh, airlines. Uh, One of the airlines it purchased early in its history was the Ludington Airlines. As early as the summer of 1928, there had been a Washington, New York airline operating with Ryan aircraft and improved the following year with the Lockheed Vegas, which could fly nonstop in 90 minutes. C. Townsend Luddington, a Philadelphia businessman, had also operated in August of 1929. The Cape Cod Airway, also listed as the Luddington Flying Service from Camden Valley Stream, Long Island. Uh, to Woods Hole, Massachusetts via points in Rhode Island and using a Travel Air 6,000 and a Fairchild 71. Then on September 1, 1930, the talents and resources of these two operations were combined to make a definite mark in the annals of air transport history in the U.S., with his brother Nicholas, Ludington began service January, or September 1, 1930 in dramatic fashion with XTAT airline executive Paul Collins and Gene Vidal, plus the famous Amelia Earhart as co-directors. They launched the New York, Philadelphia, and Washington Airway Corporation, but known familiar, familiarly as the Ludington Line. Using at first six-seat Lockheed Vegas, then 10-seat Stinson TriMotors, it began right from the start with 10 flights a day advertised as on the hour, every hour, a slogan that has passed into the airline vocabulary as the accepted standard of good airline service and which became known as a shuttle service. I think I heard that with Eastern. The New York Washington round trip was priced at $23.75, less than the Pullman rail fare by train, and the flying time was less than 2 hours compared to 5 hours by train. Such was its popularity that within a year it was carrying 60,000 passengers annually or a quarter of the United States total, and in the first quarter it made a profit unheard of for a passenger-carrying airline without a mail contract. And there were extensions that were made, and the Ludington pressed hard to obtain a mail contract but were not pleased when Postmaster General Walter Brown awarded it to Eastern Air Transport. Although the Ludington bid was considerably lower, there were many uh, recriminations And the affair was highlighted during the airmail scandal investigations in the spring of 1934. But Ludington Airlines, as it had become by December 1932, did not fit into Brown's master plan for the airline industry. And he invoked his privilege of defining who was the responsible bidder. After the initial success, the Luddington were losing money and made a last-minute attempt to qualify by expanding the operation northward to Boston in December of 1932 and southward to Nashville, Tennessee on the 23rd of January of 1933. But it was not to be, uh, so on 15th of February 1933, the company was taken over by Eastern Airlines, Eastern Air Transport, as its Ludington Division. Another airplane Eastern used, uh, although there were only three of them that were put into uh, operations, was the Stinson SM-6000. It had 10 seats, and it uh, cruised at 110 miles per hour, and it was lo- used by Ludington. Uh, it was powered by uh, uh, The uh, Lycoming R680, 600 horsepower, uh, 645 horsepower, Uh, three engines, one mounted on the nose and one on each side on the wings. Uh, Maximum takeoff gross weight was 8,500 pounds, and it had a max range of 400 miles. The length of the airplane was 63 feet, and it had a wingspan of 60 feet. Ludington began service with the Lockheed Vegas, which were demonstrably faster than the Fords and the Falkers uh, that had uh, become the standard equipment for it, its pioneering airlines of the late 1920s. But the passenger demand was such that, uh, as narrated, uh, was the larger aircraft were needed. The choice was the Stinson SM-6000. One of many models produced by that company. It was not an all-metal aircraft like the Ford, and it was slower than the Vegas. The Vega. It was, however, un- reasonably uh, comfortable, and for the short distances involved and in, uh, in the well-developed airline environment of New York, Washington the route, the technical requirements were not excessive. Uh, no. Uh, uh, mountains to climb. It was flat generally where it operated. And the speed, twice as fast at least as the trains were operating back in those days. As for Ludington, it was economical as Stinson was only half the price of a Ford. Uh, Compared to other transport aircraft, the Stinson uh, has been uh, overlooked by the chronicles of airline history. And the fact that these aircraft carried such a high percentage of the total airline traffic in the United States uh, is is often forgotten. It was a great airplane in its day, the Stinson aircraft. Well, that's all we have for today's show. And the next, uh, from the Eastern Files, we Uh, Start with our beloved name, Eastern Airlines, and start uh, talking about the history of the early day and the aircraft Eastern Airlines operated. So uh, we will uh, sign off at this time. But first of all, we want you to know that, uh, uh, you know, we do these shows to keep our Eastern family informed. It's uh, almost the only way now that you can really get the latest news is on our Monday night broadcast. We, we have uh, great shows Monday night. We have great shows uh, on Thursdays, alternating with this show from the Eastern Piles. We have old-time radio with Don Gagnon as your host, and we play some great music. You'll love the music selected, and we primar- primarily stay in the time frame of the decades that Eastern Airlines operated. So we've had some good times and good music with the big bands early in its history. And uh, we've come up with uh, uh, music of the 50s, and now we're doing the 60s and 70s, some great music that we play on alternating Thursdays. So uh, come with us at 3.30 this time of day that uh, we broadcast old-time radio with uh, the music of the decades at Eastern Airlines. And on Monday evenings, we have a great show lined up for you this coming Monday. We'll be doing a show uh, called Holy Blue Sunoco, as was mentioned one evening on one of our shows by Jim Hart uh, from the West Palm Beach and Martha's Vineyard area, and Holy Blue Sunoco, well, we remember the gasoline, Sunoco gasoline, and the fact that uh, it was blue, and uh, lies on that tag. So we're doing a a great show on slang that was used. We start out in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. So we'll have fun doing that show. And uh, at the end of our show, we generally have a discussion. And these discussions have been very, very interesting Uh, during the last, oh, I'd say four shows, because we've been talking about uh, the tragic accident of two airliners uh, using the Boeing 737 MAX. And uh, so we've been talking about those two airplanes, about Boeing, about the FAA, and it's been uh, uh, great uh, uh, information that we've passed on, we hope, through our radio show, those people listening in. So if you have your own story and you'd like to share it with our Eastern family, this is the place to do it. Uh, you can come online, just give me advance notice, and uh, we'll reserve some time uh, on from the Eastern Files, and you can tell a story of your own. Keep in mind, it's got to be pretty lengthy, and uh, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about if you we run out of time, but we try to schedule these shows anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes, and um, uh, you can... Tell it on your own, or you can send it to us, and and we'll do the show uh, on a broadcast. So we'd like to hear from you. You can send any requests that you have for any of your hosts or the producer of the show to host at ealradioshow.com. That's host at ealradioshow.com. Until then, we sign off, then meaning Monday night, we sign off as we do each broadcast by saying, Goodbye, Eastern family. We love you, Eastern. And here's our wonderful Eastern music.